right, you have uh, the scripture there in your worship folder, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. We are going to take a look at just a couple of verses this morning. I hope you are doing well. It is a big big weekend, and uh, it's good to be together. Pray for us and pray for God's word. Our Father, we come to you. There are many, many things that are vying for our attention in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that in this moment you would have your way with us and we could hear you and that you would speak with your binding authority from the scriptures. And so we ask these things in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, Well, the passage is just a short one, verses 11, 12, and 13 there from chapter 6. And uh, they sound like this. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. All right, just those three verses, simple, simple kind of conclusion. Paul is, in a very personal way, actually says, you Corinthians, he's trying to speak intimately to them. He wants their hearts, he wants their hearts to open up to him. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about that today. On my father's side, my my grandpa, um, he lived in a place that's really called Cucamonga, Southern California. They used to be just called Cucamonga, now it's Rancho Cucamonga. Sounds so much better, Rancho, as only some California developer could think of. Uh, Grandpa Capon, originally from Eastport, Maine, Long story how he ended up in Cucamonga. Um, he was a, an orange rancher. Um, and so uh, we had plenty of oranges as kids growing up. Um, I don't eat that too, ma- too many oranges these days. I've had my fill of them. Uh, but the longer I have lived, the more I have sort of figured out that my sense of my grandfather was somewhat accurate. I didn't really know at at the time what was going on. Uh, He gave fantastic Christmas gifts, by the way. They were just the best. Um, And I had a great deal of affection for my grandfather. Um, In fact, uh, when my grandmother passed away, a few, few years later, he remarried and asked me to be his best man. I was in college at the time. That was pretty cool. And so there were many aspects about him that were sweet, but he was almost impossible to get to know. He was quite closed, and I never heard from him that he loved me, though I knew that he did. Um, He smiled a lot, but he was very quiet. Many in that generation, an amazing generation that served us well during very difficult times, but they were a quiet generation. And I remember this unusual moment I had with my grandpa about 10 years old on his enclosed porch 
And there was a collection of really nicely bound novels. And for some reason, I pulled out one of the novels, and I was looking at trying to figure out the author's name. And my grandfather patted his belly, and he said, Maupassant. Maupassant. Maupassant was a French novelist in the 1800s. And I distinctly remember that at that moment, like wanting him then to tell me something about Maupassant. And nothing happened. He just patted his belly and smiled. It was that moment when I wanted him to tell me something, give me some insight into books or this author. And it was just the way he said it. He seemed to understand something, but there he was smiling and patting his belly. This quiet person who, his heart was somewhat closed to people. And I carry with me this memory of a somewhat mysterious man that I wanted to know. But he's always mysterious in my memory. I never get to know him the more I think about him. I can see the things that he sketched. He was actually part of the Boston School of Illustrators in 1915. I have one of his uh, sketches, and but I, the more I look at that sketch, I still can't know that man. The role of grandparents, the role of parents, the role of pastors, the role of small group leaders, the role of church leaders, school, Christian school leaders. We need to know their hearts. There's a calling upon them to share their hearts. It's not easy, not easy at all. But by God's grace, they can trust God to to reveal their hearts. And Paul says to the Corinthians in Verse 11 of our text, he says to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. Our heart is wide open. So I want to just talk a bit today about leadership in the church, because that really is the context. It's a leader and the people. I want to talk about leaders in the church and how they really set the pace for open heart ministry. I also want to talk for a moment about a closed heart and how this arises from evaluation that is disconnected from the gospel, closed hearts and evaluation. And then I want to talk for a bit about the heart of Christ that is always open toward us. Paul has said some pretty amazing things to the Corinthians. He has shared his heart. He's shared many things that throw us off a bit. He has shared that he is one who experiences hardship and suffering. He is one who shares difficulty and persecution. In leadership, you're doing much more than just dispensing information. You are sharing your hearts. Um, You experience hardships and frustrations. Leadership in church work, in ministry, is not... Uh, is not easily planned, is not easily executed. And um, there's a temptation to hide, a temptation to hide. 
you're hiding behind an expertise. You're hiding behind an eloquence in the pulpit. You're hiding behind skills, techniques. Could even be um, sort of your credentials, academic or otherwise. Um, and yet we have Paul, um, as one book describes Paul in the subtitle, he is Paul, the apostle of the heart set free. Often in the church, uh, gospel-driven churches, they will talk about freedom in Christ, or freedom in Christ. Yet, um, not a lot of leaders enter into that. Freedom in Christ means you can share your weaknesses. You can uh, disclose areas that uh, you don't have it together. That's not always popular, by the way. It's not always well-received. Um, people want a shining example. Or Paul told Timothy, follow, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. And so the interpretation of that is, well, Paul followed Christ with sort of robust perfection. Well, 2 Corinthians doesn't prove that. 2 Corinthians proves that Paul followed Christ with faith and repentance and constant growing in his areas of weakness. Paul could have put on a mask of strength and appealed to the Corinthians. They were after glory. The Greeks in particular uh, discovered beauty, beauty in architecture, beauty in the human body. Uh, they love the aesthetic, they, and we are the beneficiaries of many of their discoveries of, of aesthetics. And speech in particular was very important to them. And Paul, apparently, he fumbled and bumbled his way in public speech. Uh, he does much better in his writings. Um, and at one time, as Brandon has already prayed, that he appealed to God, and it might even be the speech thing with Paul. He appeals to God three times and reveals this to, to the Corinthians. And in chapter 12, verse 9, he says that, I have a thorn in the flesh, thorn in the flesh, thorn in the flesh. And he appealed three times. It must have been an earnest, long, deliberate prayer, fasting, pleading with God to remove this. It was a hindrance to him. He felt, he felt so weak in this, whatever this thorn was. And then he has this we can only conclude as an audible response from Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. And my, and my weakness is perfected. I mean, my strength is perfected in weakness. And so, um, so leadership in the church is to set pace with their own open hearts, their own open hearts. Um, so we're learning. I think our elders are learning about that. And if anyone enters into ministry, um, I've watched our our school board over the years. I've been here 22 years. Interesting to watch really competent professionals like, whoa, it's really, whoa, skilled people. Uh, really perplexed at ministry. Uh, humbled by how best to lead. I've watched new elders. Like, wow, it seems like Satan has a 
target on their back. It is a very, very difficult thing to, to do ministry and then to acknowledge a weakness that will probably come over you, a weakness. So leadership is the context. And so Paul is essentially saying, what you've got here is you've got my heart in all of these, what we called our chapters, you've got the heart being shared with the Corinthians. Paul beaten down, but constantly ref- reminding the Corinthians that his, he is not losing heart. Outwardly, he is even wasting away. He's not putting his heart in the glories of ministry. It's very, very hard for a minister not to do that. To put their heart in the ministry. Uh, And so uh, to really be a minister and to say, oh, grace is sufficient for me. Not my people, not my church, not my skills, but grace is sufficient. Now, secondly, just an important idea I think here is secondly... There's something about a closed heart going on here. See, Paul is saying, look, there's no reason for you to be closed-hearted to us. Look at verse 12. You're not restricted by us. So the platform is open-heartedness. Now, Corinthians, here's the exhortation. Open your hearts. The hardest thing to detect in us is pride. Pride doesn't say, oh, by the way, I'm here. Pride doesn't disclose itself to us. It's very hard to admit that you've been prideful. Corinthians in some way are prideful. Now, what they've done is they've laid a grid of evaluation over Paul. And whenever you've closed your heart to someone, well, in some way you've laid a grid over them. This is just not acceptable. Can't accept you. Nope. Even if someone is is caught in sin, there are people who wrote... Put the, fold their arms. Well, we're all sinners, but not that kind of sinner. Well, that happens in church. And sadly, it shouldn't. And leadership in the church should help people understand, well, we're all here by God's grace. And the evaluation grid, can you imagine if God put the evaluation grid that we have for people on us? The room, the room is appropriately quiet. So we somehow are putting an evaluation grid. Now the Corinthians, wow, Greek culture in some way, speech, the whole idea of just strength, worldly views of strength, appearance, credentials. They're actually asking Paul, who built the church and started the church and led them to Christ, they're actually asking him to provide letters of recommendation. (laughs) Just wacky, wacky stuff. And Paul responds, well, here's my my letter of recommendation. You. You're it. You've come to faith. You, You transferred out of darkness into light by the grace of God. You are my letter. And you're not written uh, like a letter would be from someone in Jerusalem or something like with ink. You're written on by the Spirit of God in your heart. How about that? So this 
evaluation grid is this prideful way of human standards. This fold your arms, look down your nose, you're not enough, closed-heartedness. And even the idea of how we want to be led in the church. We want to be led in a triumphant way, right? And by the way, the American church can't stand being humbled. It wants to be triumphant and attach itself to some political party or some some movement. And then we're really going to rock and roll. We're really going to be something. Well, Paul says to that, he says, well, we are being led in a triumph. We're being led in a triumphal procession. That might have got the Corinthian ears, right? Uh, He says we're being led in a triumphal procession like, well, it's kind of like how Rome would capture a people and put chains around their necks and lead them. And the the Caesar is ahead of us uh, and we're just being pulled behind an ox cart. That's how we, Jesus our King, has brought us into a whole new kind of slavery. We're following this triumphant King That's the triumphal procession we're in. So he has been point by point, sentence by sentence, dismantling their evaluation grid. And then they they are somehow, apparently I was reading recently that, and I sort of missed this in my prep, that that in, in Corinth was actually quite a large population of Jews. And so the Paul strategy would then to go and try and reach the Jews first when he went to, to a city. And so now these uh, non-Jews who had converted to Christianity were impressed with the teachings of Moses, the glory days of Moses, and they're even putting that grid over Paul saying, you know what, when we think about glory, we think about the days of, of Moses. And Paul said, Paul's you can't, you can't do this. This isn't real. The, the, the days of Moses were transitory, momentary, a transitional period. Even Moses in his day knew the glory that he experienced on, on Mount Sinai was fading. Now you've entered into the final reign of the ultimate Moses, Jesus, who now gives us his very own glory as his glory shines in our hearts. And Paul is just beautifully connecting the Old Testament themes with New Testament realities but they're taking this, again, this closed-hearted evaluation. I don't know about your, I don't know about this glory that's in Jesus. What about Moses? Imagine that. And we need an effective speaker. You know what, Paul? Effective speakers would bring conversions to people. Right? And Paul says to this, well, if my gospel's veiled, chapter 4, It's veiled because the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of Christ. So whenever there's preaching going on, it has nothing to do with the preacher. Nothing. It doesn't matter how eloquent they are, how organized their outline is, how smooth they are. It doesn't matter at all. There is no power in the human voice or their human skills or whatever And Paul says that conversion is the gift of God by the Spirit of God, moving someone out of darkness into light. And so wherever I go, Paul says, sometimes some are converted and sometimes there's a riot. Sometimes it's amazing fellowship and wonder and sometimes I'm driven out of town. 
it doesn't matter regarding my abilities. You see how prideful and trusting in human evaluation the Corinthians were? Well, they're like me. I was born a Corinthian. God, by his grace, has me here. And, well, we want strength. We want life, right? We want life and strength. And, well, Paul says, well, what we're doing is, in verse 10 of chapter 4, he says this, we're always caring about in our body the death of Jesus. So that's what ministry's about. And then again, wow, my strength, chapter 12, is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul, as a summary in chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says the reason why he's sharing all these things about his life, he wants the Corinthians to know that God's active in them. God's working in his, his, his traveling, traveling apostolic group. And he says that God is with us in these, in these hardships. In verse 12 says, so you can answer those who boast about, quote, quote, outward appearances. So the call upon us here, if you want to grow in maturity, the call is turn away from your fleshly evaluation grid when you're in, interacting with fellow believers when you're interacting with a, a minister of the gospel and you sense his, some weakness in him, some inability, he doesn't have the skill, can't organize a potluck, whatever, what do you? What do we look for? See, I realize that I'm kind of the you know looking at me and I'm I'm the minister here, but when we look about our look about our when we think about each other, this is this whole thing is causing us to think. Whoa, I really do evaluate people according to a worldly standard. This is my brother and sister in Christ. God has brought them out of darkness into light. Get, help me think differently about them. Right? And so it's just, that's just the call upon us. And so um, now the heart, just finally I want to share, the heart of our Lord is always open to us. If we're going to talk about hearts and closed hearts, well, the book of Hebrews tells us that our high priest is always open to us. That God has brought us into his family and his fatherly heart is always open to us. Now, God can discipline us and correct us, but he's not scowling at us. His heart is not closed to us, saying, oh, I knew you would never work out. Oh, I knew that this was your proclivity in sin. Oh, I only save squeaky clean people. That's what I'm saying. So God is not scowling at you. He's not mad at you. Our Father has declared that you are accepted in the Beloved. And so his heart is always open to us. And this should work on our hearts. He did not take his holiness grid, the evaluation grid that should fall upon us of perfection, of loving him with our whole heart and mind and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. He didn't take the, all that law and apply it to us and say, now, through this you will live. That's what the scriptures teach us. And what he did was, he himself took upon himself the laws we were required to keep. So when we think of Jesus, he's our law keeper for law breakers. And the ultimate evaluation, human or, or, or divine, 
fell upon Jesus as he hung upon the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, abandoned, forsaken. That's where all human evaluation unloaded. You're not worthy to be called a human being. This is, and thus we will treat you this way. And so we must now look at our own evaluation grid and say, Oh Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not grasping more fully what you have done for me in Christ. Well, the possibility is that we can share more deeply with each other, heart to heart. It shouldn't surprise us that we will learn of people's weaknesses. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who suffered greatly as a faithful servant of the church in Germany, during Nazi Germany, he wrote this, and I will close with this. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians unthinkably are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone in our sin. Listen to that. Listen to that pastoral observation. We live alone in our sin, living lies and hypocrisy. What we need is the pleading, the pleading of Scripture. Come, come out. Corinthians, admit your pride. Admit your close-heartedness. And our Father will receive you. Come out from the mask. Come out from the pretending. We're drawn out because of God's grace, His grace that chases us down. So let's pursue our God with an open heart and each other as well. Let me pray for us. Lord, there are real sinners among us, including the one who was speaking. So, Lord, uh, thank you for your, your being the hound of heaven. And we have your open heart to us through Jesus. Help us, help us in our marriages to talk honestly, in our gatherings as, as, as church folk. Father, help us to just be okay with how we really are and what you say about us. And we give you the thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.